First Timothy chapter one, verse eighteen. Paul said, "Here at this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou might by them mightest war a good warfare." So he's uh, he's charging Timothy that he might war a good warfare. Did you think the Christian life was going to be warfare? Or did you think it's just going to be easy, easy peasy all the way to heaven? Do you think your problems were over when you got saved? That's the way they're presenting it a lot of times. No, but that's not the way it is. I want to read another scripture, and you ought to have this in your memory already as many times as I've read this to you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the rest of this is just so rich. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought in the, to the obedience of Christ. So, the Christian life is described as a warfare. If, if, if it's warfare, then we're soldiers, right? Yes, that's right. And the Bible bears that out too. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. It's a fight. It's a warfare. Not with sinners, but with the devil. With evil. It's not a warfare between all of us. That's what a lot of people think. That's the way they... Uh, you know, I've known a lot of preachers. They've made it their life business to fight with everybody they come in contact yes, with. Sir. They want to destroy people. And we ought to be resisting the devil, not yes. other people. I mean, it's there's other powers behind all this trouble. Yes. And so we got our guns on the wrong thing. On the wrong beings. Now, a big part of being a soldier is training. And I gave away some of it last week. You'll notice all the way down through here, there were things I gave away. But a big part of being a, a soldier is training. You don't get, become a soldier without training. First thing they do when you're, when you're inducted into the service, drafted or volunteered, no matter how you come into it, the first thing that happens is you go to basic training. What is the training about? Well, it's about, number one, how to survive and stay alive in a battle when people are, when others are trying to kill you. So that's what we need in the church, see, in the churches. We need some basic training that we're not getting, hadn't got for years. It's all just, you know, we're like at a ball game instead of a war. It's like a playground instead of a battlefield. We're, all, we're here to have a good time and enjoy the Lord together. Hallelujah. Let's all praise God. And, you know, while the devil's uh, working uh, all kinds of mischief among us. Mm -hmm. 
That ain't what we need. We don't need to worry about having a good time. We need to worry about the fact that our children are under the guns of the devil. He's aiming to get them and destroy them and us too. And we need to be a good soldier. A good soldier pays attention. One of the things in basic training is how to go after the enemy also. I mean, it's how to destroy him. How to stop him from accomplishing his strategy on us, against us, against our loved ones. A soldier stands for his country, not just himself. That's one of the things that's put into him also, is you're, you're fighting for your country, for your, for your mom and dad, for your wife and children. That's what we're doing here. There's more at stake than just you. A soldier is trained to give his life, if necessary, to save others. Yep. You know what they teach him? If a grenade falls in the foxhole with you, what are you supposed to do? Jump you jump on it. If you're the closest one to it, you jump on it. So it only kills you and not the rest of them. Train a soldier to do that. How much training are we getting as Christians? How good of soldiers are we? How much are we willing to give? How... how Keen are we on how to fight this battle, how to stay alive, how to save others? And what, what is our motive and what is it all about? Now, wars are not won by simply putting anyone and everyone in a uniform and putting them out on the battlefield. But that's the kind of way everybody's looked at it for years, you know. If you dress right, get your hair cut right, and if you learn how to talk right, why, then you're good. You're good. You're a good soldier. Go after them. Not ready. No. Just having the uniform doesn't make you a soldier. There's got to be something more than that. Don't send them out to the battlefield without first preparing them for battle and training them on how to stay alive and how to defeat the enemy. And there's been a great failing of the modern church in, and, 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 it's, and it's part of the reason that the enemy has invaded and taken so much ground in the churches and in the lives of people who profess to be saved. We, we mourn over this contemporary church movement and all that and the merging church and the charismatics and all of the nonsense and evil that's come into the churches. Well, how'd it get there? Nobody resisted. Nobody knew what was going on and nobody cared to know what was going on as long as we get them to church and as long as we have a good time when we're here. <laughs> as long as they'll keep giving money. Yes, that's it. We're up against an enemy who has every advantage over us and we're fighting in his domain. It's one thing to fight on your own turf. It's something else to fight on the enemy's turf. Yep. He's at a great advantage. He owns everything. I mean, as far as the way everything's working, this world system, he is the God, little g, of it. What you see, what you're exposed to, what you hear, he's in control of all that from this world. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims passing through. We don't belong here. So he has a great advantage. Another advantage he has is he's been doing this for over 6,000 years. And we've just done it a few short years. And at the best, we only have 70 or 80 years to fight him. And he's been doing it all of these thousands of years. So he's a little better at it than we are. Yeah. 
And He knows what He's doing. He knows what works because He's done it over and over millions, billions of times and it works for Him. And so He uses what works. When are we going to wise up to that? When are we going to try to when are we going to quit trying to think that we're smarter than everybody that's lived before us and the devil ain't going to get me because I know him. <laughs> we have no power at all against him in ourselves. All the power we have against him is through God working in us. Our only hope is God in us. That's all. That's all we got. There ain't one of us, ain't never been a man except Jesus Christ who was able to stand against him. Right. Now, we can, through Christ, we can do all things. Without him, what can we do? Tell me what he said. Nothing. 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 So, our protection from the devil is dependent <coughs> upon our obedience to God. Do you hear me? Our obedience to God starts with what we know God expects from us. You gotta know what is expected of you before you can obey. You shouldn't punish your children for doing something wrong when they didn't know they wasn't supposed to do it. Make sure they know. And when they know, and then they do it, then they're in trouble. But it's not just and it's not right if they don't know. We're going to be held accountable for what we know. Too much is given, much shall be required. Some are going to be beaten with many stripes and some with few. That's the, that's the principle of the Word of God and the, and the justice of God. So we cannot be ignorant of our enemy and how he uses the way God designed us to defeat us. Can't be ignorant about that. we got to know human nature, if you will. Yeah. we got to know what, how we work, how this thing works in us. And the devil uses the way God made us against us. Yes, he does. That's right. And he does it very successfully. So training in spiritual warfare must include a thorough understanding of how we're led into the devil's traps and snares. Modern doctrine is totally off the mark completely. They just tell you, you have a sinful nature, you were born that way, that's why you do it. And you can't help it and you can't stop it, so don't. You know, God understands that and that's all under the blood, so just live your life. And we've got generations now that have busted out completely. I mean, they have totally wiped out believing that false teaching. Here is how it works. We have talked about appetites and we've talked about desires and lust for a couple of weeks now. Now listen to me carefully, and I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can. I'm glad I forgot it last week because it gave me time to study it more and get, get it sharpened up more, I think. Appetite refers to natural desires. Three words, four words we're working with here tonight. Appetite, desire, lust, and will. Appetite is the natural desire or of pleasure or good. 
the desire of gratification, either of the body or of the mind. There's things that, and we talked a week before last about the appetites of the mind. Where does your mind go? What, is you, what do you like to think about? What are the thoughts that you like, that, you're, that you have a desire to think about? That's something to consider. The week before, we talked about the appetites of the flesh. Just Now, appetites, natural appetites, are necessary to sustain life and God in His goodness made the fulfillment of them pleasurable for us. You think about it. And another thing, natural appetites that God gave us are really very few. How many natural appetites do we have? Well, we, we desire food. We desire water. We desire shelter and clothing. We don't want to just live out in the, in the woods, out in the open like the deer and the, and the varmints do. We want to we be able to get inside. That's a natural desire. Uh, love. You know, and we could go on a little more, but there are not very many natural appetites. What do you need to be content? What do you need to be happy and healthy? Not a whole lot. What God gave us the desire for, that's all. Having food and raiment, therewith be content. So, natural appetites are really very few. Very few. Most of our appetites then can be called covetousness because their objects are things we don't really need, but we have been influenced and persuaded to desire for ourselves. One tree in the garden, God said, no, don't eat of that tree. All the other trees of the garden, you need to eat all of them, all of them, but that one tree. What brought sin into the world? Mm-hmm. The desire that developed in Eve's heart from looking at that tree and listening to the lies of the devil. It turned into lust. She had to have it. So she took it. When she was deceived and persuaded that God was lying and the devil was telling her the truth and that it was really good for her and pleasant to look on and to be desired to make one wise, she took and ate. Gave to her husband also whether and he did that. So appetite. Appetite is having a desire for anything, you know, whatever it is. It can be a natural appetite. It can be an unnatural appetite. Then desire. Now, an appetite is having a desire. So it's hard to draw the line there and say... uh, you know, which is which? Well, we, we say, well, I hope you have an appetite because we got this big supper to eat. No, really what you mean is you're hoping they're hungry. Hunger is a desire. Appetite means that that's just something that's always there. I mean, you have an appetite. It's a, it's a thing God made us with so that we would desire things. We, de- we develop an appetite by looking at things that we don't need. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's covetousness. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Desire, now listen. So, I hope we got that. Now, desire is an emotion, an emotion of excitement directed, and it's of the mind. It's, a, it's an emotion or excitement of the mind directed to the attainment or possession of an object from which pleasure, sensual, intellectual, or spiritual is expected. You have an appetite. You're hungry. And then they, then you see this great, they bring your plate to you and here's all this fried chicken and mashed potatoes. You know what you got then? Desire. Or even if you come in the house hungry and they got, and you can smell it, then you start wanting it. It's hard to wait, isn't it, when you start having a desire for it. We used to have uh, deals in the church in Virginia and they'd be down there frying bacon in the kitchen and they'd come up the hallway and into the auditorium and, you, you know, it's hard to have a service because everybody's just, you know, and the desire was bloomed, if you will, for that food down there. Now, to desire something that God has designed for us to have is never wrong as long as it's governed by the moral law of God. Now, is that... hope you all listen. I'm trying to be brief and, and keep moving along here. So there's appetite, there's desire, there's lust. Lust is longing desire. It's more than desire. It's more than... Hmm, that smells good. I'd like to have some of that. Lust is more than that. I drove by a lot of places and it smelled good and I just went on. I didn't just get arrested by it and say, i got to have that. I don't care who's waiting on me. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what time i got to be at work. i I got to have that. No, I've had desire. Not went that far with it. You see, lust is more. It's desire elevated. I got some things to say here. It's a longing desire, an eagerness to possess or enjoy as the lust of gain. I'm reading out of the dictionary here, but lust says I must have it and I must have it now. Can't wait. That's lust. Lust is something different than appetite. And it is beyond simple desire. It is a longing desire, an obsession of the mind, an urgent demand to have or to enjoy that presses past the boundaries of the moral law of God. Yeah. I'm still reading out of the dictionary. Wow. Concupiscence. Do you all know what that means? How many of you know what concupiscence means? Well, it's unbridled lust, especially in sensual things. You know what I'm talking about. Carnal appetite. That word's in the Bible. Paul used that word. He said that's the way we were when we were lost, walking in concupiscence. Carnal appetite. Unlawful desire of carnal pleasure. That's lust. It's desire unbridled. It's desire with the brakes off. Now, will. 
Now, I'm going to read you out the dic uh, dictionary again. That's the best place I've found to figure out what words mean. <laughs> read a dictionary. It's very enlightening. The faculty of the mind by which we determine either to do or forbear an action. Well, we already knew that, didn't we, really? Our will is where we decide yes or no. It's a faculty of the mind, see, not the heart. Very important. The faculty which is exercised in deciding among two or more objects which we shall embrace or pursue. The will is directed or influenced by the judgment. We make a judgment on everything. We lay it beside each other and we look at one and we look at the other and we decide according to what we know or what we feel or what we think or what we've been told or what we're lusting after. And we try to make up our mind that way or that way. Do I do this or that? The will is directed or influenced by the judgment. The understanding or reason compares different objects which operate as motives. The judgment determines which is preferable. Preferable. Which do I prefer? Well, now, your judgment's going to be tainted by your desires. They're going to play into that real hard. How many people make a judgment strictly off of what their mind says according to truth? You see, you get, this is so dangerous, so treacherous, this territory you go into with your appetite and your desire and your lust. I mean, when you get to this part, you're in grave danger. So the understanding or reason compares different objects. The judgment determines which is preferable and the will decides which to pursue. In other words, we reason with respect to the value or importance of things. We then judge which is to be preferred and we will take the most valuable, what we consider the most valuable. Well, to God or to me? Well, it depends on whether you belong to God or not. Depends on whether you're really born again or not. These are but different operations of the mind, soul, or intellectual part of man. See, we can't, it's hard to divide us all up into these different parts. But if we understand that this, all these different words describe different things that go on in our mind, and the progression, the progression of, of temptation, of appetite, desire, lust, and in the will, what will I do? Then we got a chance to stand against it. It's the devil's strategy against us. That's what he does. That's the way he comes at us. And it ain't got nothing to do with our genes or our DNA or anything like that. It's a, it's a moral issue of the heart and the mind. It's spiritual. Yes. 
not physical. The physical is affected greatly by this matter and, and the spiritual. The physical is how He comes at us to tempt us. It starts there. It starts with natural appetites. I said that the other night. The devil comes at us through our natural appetites. Okay. So, we have natural appetites that are part of God's design. And we may also have unnatural appetites for things that are not necessary to sustain life. You need to ask yourself, how many unnatural appetites do I have? How many things do you want? That desire. That you think you just really ought to have and need to have that really don't matter if you have them or not. Having food and raiment? Yeah. So, we have a desire for things, for the things we have an appetite for. That's what we desire. We have this appetite for them, so we desire And that simply means that they appeal to us and we imagine they will bring us pleasure. Man, this is simple, but it's just really so important. Now, lust is a step further than desire. Lust is when desire becomes a demand. And the internal dialogue turns into a battle against the mind to force the will to submit. It's what happened to Eve in the garden. It's what's happened to every human being that's ever been born since. All men have sinned. That's why. Because it worked on her and it works on everybody else. It ain't got nothing to do with anything else. It is the devil and his strategy and it works. And until we recognize it and acknowledge it and begin to do battle as a good soldier, we're going to lose and lose and lose and lose. So that is temptation and enticement to sin. There's two things about temptation in the Bible. It also means trial, but this is enticement to sin. What we think of when we think of being tempted. And, and uh, this is what it is. What I'm talking about right here. And, this, and that is the enticement to sin that the Scripture promises that God will never lead us into. We're going to get to James here in a minute and read that. But God never tempted us to sin. He never tempted any man to sin. So then the Bible says that God tempted Abraham. He tried Abraham. He didn't tempt Abraham to sin. He didn't entice Abraham to sin. Two different meanings. Two different words there. So, we get here by our own carelessness and lust. God don't lead us into that. It's like you said, Seth, you know, I've heard people say this, you know, they're thankful for everything that happened. If they could go back in their life, they wouldn't change a thing because their sin and all of their mess is what brought them to where they are now. What a foolish thing to say. God didn't have nothing to do with your sin except to save you from it if you're saved. He rescued you when you were bound for hell because of your sin. Don't you give no glory to your sin. It almost took you to hell. If the righteous scarcely be saved, have you ever considered how close, what a close call it was for you? Oh, mercy. 
At this point, we're in grave danger because there's very few that ever are able to backstep from here. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. The lust of your father ye will do. You get to that point where lust conceives. We get to, I'm getting ahead of myself. You, bear, you rarely back up from there. <coughs> lust is desire. Throwing the door open. And casting off any restraints. Are you listening to me? And wrestling with the will in order to proceed to action. That's what lust is. You better fear it. You better avoid it. You better stop before you get there. You better have a governor on your desires. You will if you're born again. We'll get to that in a minute. But when desire becomes lust then lust conceives. And if you look at it in the dictionary, here's what it means. To form in the womb or to frame in the mind. When you conceive an idea, it's framed in your mind. Your mind's made up. You have a plan. You have a strategy. Lust conceives. Lust has convinced your mind to consider this strategy for getting what you want. And it frames in the mind a plan to obtain the object desired. Now, unless the mind is steadfast in its insistence on truth and righteousness, the will is soon taken captive by the lust. Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That's why it's so important to drill it into the minds of children and ourselves. The Word of God. The Word of truth. Right and wrong. The law of God. Moral truth. That's why it is so important that it just be written in the mind is... As much as we can get it written in there. Mm -hmm. The devil makes sure we can see the object and our natural appetite is, is what makes us stop and gaze upon it. And the resulting desire is what makes us act upon it and cross that line. The desire turned into lust will willingly agree with the lies offered by the tempter to justify the taking of what you want. <clears throat> now, you ain't a kidding me. There's not a person in this room, including the children, who, don't, who have not experienced this. The devil has done this to you. And you have fell for it over and over. All of us have. He shows you something. Make sure you see it. Make sure you hear about it. Make sure that you get a chance to gaze upon it and think upon it until there's a desire arises. 
And then you're willing, the thing goes to work in your mind. And you start rationalizing and excusing and making and coming up with all kinds of reasons why it's okay. It's okay. Why, why is it not okay? I mean, why can't I do that? Other people do it and nothing happens to them and on and on until you finally just do it. What do you think causes apostasy like we're seeing nowadays? I'm, I'm explaining it to you from the Word of God here, just as plain as I can possibly do it. And it always works this way. The desire turned into lust will willingly agree with lies. Lust will agree with lies. And it'll, and it'll be the channel to your mind that the devil uses. The Bible is very clear. The battle, therefore, is where? In the mind, in the mind. That's where you. That's where this battle's at. In your mind. That's right. Yes, sir. It all depends on whether you stand fast yes. <clears throat> with the truth that you that God has given you His Word. The Bible's very clear about this progression, how it happens, and how we are defeated by the devil. <clears throat> James chapter one, verse fourteen through sixteen. But every man is tempted. Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted with God. For God tempted no man with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You better not mess up here. You better not misunderstand here. That's how it happens. That's how you're going to die. That's how you're going to die forever. If you end up in hell, that's how it's going to happen. Warning! Don't err. We're drawn away by our own lust. Notice it's our lust, not simply a desire. Natural or unnatural. It's lust. It's a desire that's inflamed. A desire that has become a command, a demand. It's become lust. A desire that has taken control of your mind, of your heart. And and it's trying to override. It's bumping against the moral law of God. The bumpers that you know are there. That you've been taught are there. That mom and dad taught you. That you learn from the Word of God. You know. You know in your mind. But there's something in you that just wants it so bad. So we're drawn away of our lust. Not simply a desire. We're drawn away when we have obsessed with the desire long enough for it to gain a stronghold and turn into a power that we can't resist. Gird up the loins of your mind. You better exercise your mind. You better be able to realize what's happening to you before it's too late. We're enticed to go ahead and take what we want. Now we'd be wise right here to ask, by whom are we being enticed? See, the Scripture said we're drawn away of His own lust and enticed. <laughs> well, enticed by who? What? If Eve would have just wandered in there and saw the tree, she probably wouldn't. I don't think she would have taken of it without encouragement, without 
somebody lying to her. She knew it was wrong. She knew what God had said. But all it took was to gaze upon it, to consider it, to think about it, to hear some another voice saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's not, it's more than okay, it's good, you need it, it's to be desired. Until there was a desire born in her for that. That's the way it happens with drugs, alcohol, immorality, every kind of sin that you can imagine, every vice you can imagine, that's how it happens. You don't want that stuff, naturally. But when somebody else just keeps on and on, it's good, you need to try it. I mean, you don't know what you're missing. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to go through life and not know what you could have had, do you? And finally you give in and take it. Try it. You're just going to try it. You're not going to get hooked. (laughs) Every drunk started with one drink. Every drug head, every wipeout started with one little hit, one pill, one drag off a piece of a joint. It always starts with that first time. Immorality is the same way. It opens the door. After the first time, it don't matter anymore. You've blown it. What is there left? Why not go on? Lust conceives to form, to frame in the mind. In other words, lust comes up with a plan and a strategy to get what is desired. These little children will do that. If you'll watch them, you can see it in them. You can see this play out in them over and over and over. They know what they want and they go after it. They think it out. They become sneaky. When you see them sneaking stuff, sneaking around doing stuff, know what is going on. Know what's going on in there. Know what kind of a pattern is being developed in their mind and in their reasoning. Understand, this is what's going on. They're following their desires. Their desires are not under control. And they're not being taught to be under control. People think it's wrong to put stuff in front of children in their sight that they shouldn't have. And then make them leave it alone. No, that's very good. That's That's a very good thing to do. They need to learn to deny themselves. If there's ever going to be any hope for their soul. See, we've got a whole world full of people that are being taught, do not deny yourself. Don't deny yourself anything. Anything you want, anything you feel, do it. Hey, you only go around once in life. Do it with gusto. I see these old people saying the only things they regret is not doing what they wanted to do certain times. Now you're just listening to old fools. That's what you're listening to. That are void of God and wisdom. That's the most foolish thing I ever heard of. Comes right straight out of the mouth of Satan. He loves that stuff. He loves for old people to tell young people that stuff because it just draws them right in, makes them eat, softens up the target for him. The desires of the heart. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I I, I jumped ahead of myself here. 
Lust conceives, and the next step is sin. It bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the place to watch closely is desire. When you feel that in yourself, that desire in something, stop and consider real, real closely. Why? Why do I want it? Why would I have an appetite for that? Why would I think that that would be good for me? Stop the devil right there. So, now desire can be of the heart or of the mind. Now think about this here. In, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Now the desires of the heart are based in appetites and lust, and include emotions and feelings. Pay attention here, real close. The desires of the mind are based upon mental excesses or thinking too much about something. You know what's wrong with most people? They ain't got no control over their mind. They can't stop thinking about something. Right. And, and they just overdo it. I mean... They do with their mind what they would be doing with their flesh if they just if they just drank, uh, you know. I mean, they couldn't drink just one soda; they had to drink thirteen in a day. Yeah, exactly. You know, I knew a guy one time; he couldn't just eat one hamburger; he had to have thirteen. <laughs> then he'd get sick. Said, "See her." See, when you do that in your mind. When your thoughts and you just don't have any rain on anything, can you just stop thinking about something? <coughs> well, yeah, you can. You can, can. you can gird up the loins of your mind, casting down imaginations and bringing every thought into obedience, the obedience of Christ. Yes, you can. Just won't. The desires of the mind are always the result of thinking too much on something. I may lose you right here, but I'm going to tell you, OCD is a mental de defect. It's not a talent, it's not a gift, and it's not a virtue. It's an excess. It's a mental excess. What does it do for you? Does it bless your life? Does it bless other people's lives? Does it help you to understand God? No, it's a curse to everybody around you and to you too. It makes you miserable. You can't stand it if the picture's crooked. You can't stand it if everything's not symmetrical. You can't stand it if all the labels ain't facing out. That's, man, I'm telling you. It's, it's, Lack of discipline yes. in your mind, just like lack of discipline in your fleshly desires. The same thing that we call OCD is what causes a person to have desires of the mind that are as out of bounds as adultery and fornication and murder and lying and stealing and all the rest. And let me tell you something, all habits are mental. They're mental issues. They're not of the heart or of the body. Now, I don't care what they say. 
I know that all of the world's wisdom will say that I am a fool for believing that and saying that because it is an addiction. It is in your mind. Yes, sir. That's where the addiction is at. Yes, sir. It can be broken only one way. And that is when you make up your mind not to do it. And most people don't have the strength to do that. I'll give you that. But God will give you. What is this about in the renewing, renewal of your mind? Renewing of your mind. The washing of your mind. All the different things that happen to your mind when you get born again enables you, with God's help, to stop. To break the habits. To break the... Oh, do away with the strongholds and bring every thought into obedience. So, all habits are mental and these are mental issues caused by fleshly indulgence. Now, if you can get it. And then treated as physical issues, therefore never cured. What do you do to stop smoking now? You know what my grandpa did to stop smoking? He just put them down and said, that's it, I'm done. I remember I asked him, I said, Grandpa, how in the world can you do that? He said, all you got to do is make up your mind. Yes, sir. But I'm not going to do it anymore. That's his answer to me. And it worked for him. My mom was the same way. I remember her smoking and she just quit. And other people just lose their mind. They can't Oh, What do you do now, though? What do you do now? Well, you get nicotine gum. Or patches. You go to the doctor and get help. Yeah, get hypnotized. You do anything but just make up your mind to not do it. You don't ever deal with it where the problem lies. It's physical, man. My body is my body's gotta have it. Man. There's people that have quit it without any of that stuff. Quit not only smoking, but drinking drugs, every kind of drug, they've quit it. By just saying, no more! The will. Lay it out before you. And, and, and yeah, I won't go there. i got to hurry up and get in here. Alright. So a mind that is indulged in obsessive thinking will take you to the same place that a heart that is focused on carnal desires will. The answer to all of this is simply a new birth. The new covenant offers uh, differs from the old covenant in this important matter. The law of God is written on our heart and in our mind in the new birth. That takes care of it. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord. He's quoting from the Old Testament. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Then in Hebrews 10 and verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Did you catch that? One verse says he'll write them in the mind and put them in the heart. The other verse says he'll write them in the heart and put them in the mind. 
<laughs> that just covers it all. Anyway, you want to look at it. He fixes both. So the law and the commandments were written on stone and paper and were able to be known by the mind. That's it. But here it is, Romans 7, where everybody gets mixed up and jumps the track. It's clear from Romans 7 where Paul is describing the man who has the law of God written in his mind but not in his heart. Romans 7, verse 22 and 23, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Y'all get it? Desire has to do with emotions and feelings. The desires of the heart. It's where you love. It's where you hate. It's, what you, it's where you desire. It's that desire that makes you want things that you see. <laughs> when the law of God is written in the heart, it changes our desires from selfish, worldly, carnal desires to God Himself and things eternal and spiritual. Now the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to another. The Spirit lusteth. You see this works both ways. It's not just the negative on this side here. It's It also, when a person is born again and the law of God is written on your heart, and, you're, and God gives you the desires of your heart and your, and your desires are toward God and righteousness. Lust does the same thing there. Lust for that. Overwhelming desire for that. Desire. See, in Romans 7, Paul talks about wanting to do right, but can't. That's not, that's not the Christian walk. That's not the testimony of a Christian. You can't find that anywhere else in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere else in the book of Romans. You can't find it in Romans 6 or Romans 8, which are on each side of Romans 7. No way. No kind of a thing like that. No. I'm carnal, sold, under sin. That's a Christian testimony? No, no. That's the man who's got the law of God in his mind. He knows. He's heard but he hasn't, it isn't written in his heart. Yeah. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's how it happens. Yes. And God writes his law on your heart. So your desires are in that direction. And so that's why it says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's why it says that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's why that. The Christian always overcomes because his desire is toward God. And that desire is so strong that it does in that direction what lust does in the other direction in the lost carnal person. Y'all get that? You can go back to the Psalms and see how David talked about, you know, his 
he thirsting after God and longing after God. See, that is a desire beyond just, I'd like to have that. It's a desire, longing. What's lust? It's longing. When Jesus said, with desire, I've desired to, to eat this uh, Passover with thee, with you. Not thee. He was talking to all of them. You. That word's lust. Look it up. It's not lust in the negative sense, in the sinful sense. It's, it's, a, it's a longing desire. You believe you can have that longing desire for God and right yes. and spiritual and heavenly things that is as strong as you can want the things of this world? Yes. Well, of course. That's the miracle of salvation. That's the miracle of the new birth. It translates you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I'm not the... That old man's gone. Been renewed in the spirit. My brain's been... They said, you're brainwashed. They told me that back in the beginning. Dad told me that. You're brainwashed. I said, yep, I sure have been. My brain's been washed. Clean. By the washing of the word. And I desire the heavenly. Not the earthly. Not the sensual, all of that. Not the dirt and filth and the junk of this world. That explains why that there's some who just can't cross that line and go into sin. And others can do it without much hesitation. You ever wonder about that? People get saved. Two people get saved at the same meeting. They start growing in the Lord, and both of them looks like they're doing great. Then visit twenty years later, and one of them's long gone out there a sodomite. I know people who bent down, just fit what I just described. Now they're a sodomite, living a sodomite lifestyle. And I've heard them preach. I've heard them testify. I've heard them cry in church services. Now they're out there. What's the difference? What well, wasn't written in their heart? They knew in their mind, but their carnal lusts overcame their will. Because it overcame the truth that was in their mind. Just in their mind. Just in their mind. So, they understand with their head, but their heart is never really yielded to God and changed. Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Only the new birth changes both heart and mind, and therefore the desires of the soul. There can be no new birth without the death of the old man. The heart, that heart that's set on self and lust and pride, must be exchanged for a, a heart of flesh. Soft is what it means. Not the flesh like you're thinking. A soft heart that's set on God. And that mind that's full of false knowledge and lies and opinions and prejudices and, and strategies for self-gratification and self-glorification, they have to be exchanged for the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. First Peter 1, 13, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And then one more verse. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You see, the battle is between your heart and your mind. That's where the devil works. He can inflame a desire in your heart. And there and then it begins this struggle between the mind and heart. You know what to do. You know what's right, but you sure want but you want what's not right. Now, either the mind will hold firm or else it'll eventually give up and you'll follow your heart right into hell. To him that overcometh. That's all the promises are to him that overcometh. You all know that, don't you? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Scripture. It's that way. It really is. Whatsoever is born of God. When you're born of God, you get a new heart. Your mind is renewed. Your desires are changed. You become dead to this world. You were dead to righteousness and alive unto sin, but now you're dead to sin and alive to righteousness. You were servants of sin, but and you yielded your members, servants to sin. But now you yield them, your members, servants to righteousness. Yes. And it's not because you've got to keep the law. And everybody expects it of me. And I'm just doing what I know I ought to do in order to get to heaven. Because I don't want to go to hell. And I want to go to heaven. And I, no, you, that's what you want. That's what you desire. You don't want... You look at the, the filth of this world as for just what it is. Filth! Yes. Rot! Death! <coughs> It has the stench of death on it. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And that's what it looks like to you. And that's what it smells like to you. And you you don't want it. So everybody ought to be able to overcome. If you're born again, you ought to be able to overcome all the junk you see on your phone, on a TV, or on the road signs. Or what you hear in the store or the gas station. Or what you see this summer out there. You ought to be able to overcome it. Because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Because you desire a better country. You're You're not just satisfied with the cottage below. Well, I hope you got something out of that. Maybe you can see why I couldn't wing it last week. There's too much to remember there. And I hope it's clear enough to help you. Help all of us. I need this as much as you do. I need to be reminded of this. This is how the devil works. And if we're going to be a good soldier, what are we going to do about it? Pay attention, first of all. You can't be lollygagging and daydreaming and ignorant of what's going on around you. You've got to be aware. If you're in the jungle, you're a soldier and you're in the jungle and there's snipers everywhere, you're paying attention. Mine's in front of you. You ain't just 
daydreaming and and being ignorant. Same way with this. Souls are at stake. If we could only get that the understanding and a grasp on what is really at stake with our lives in this, this battle we're in. And we think we can just win some, lose some. No, we gotta win, we gotta win. You gotta win. Yes, you got to win every battle. Don't give up. Don't concede and don't be satisfied. Well, you know, I did. I win some to lose some. That's a bad. Yeah, that's a, a soldier don't have that kind of a attitude about it. You got to win. Too much at stake. Children around us. All of us. Marriages, homes, souls at stake. So fight the good fight. Be a good soldier like Paul told Timothy. I mean, can you understand what he was saying to him? Be a good soldier. Fight a good warfare. Don't be ignorant. Pay attention. Step up. That's what we all got to do in this day we're living in. I don't want to see the devil get any of these children or anybody else here. Trying to help you. Trying to help you. Wise up. Beware. Your adversary, the devil, will walk about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that is you. And it's your little children. And it's your husband or your wife. He's after them. Realize it. Pay attention. Be careful. Watch your back. Watch their back. Help one another. Amen. Father, thank you for the Word of God and the truth here tonight. I pray it would be a blessing and a help to all of us. Please help us to keep this and live it and put it into practice in our lives. It's a mind thing that we've got. To, this is where the battle's at. We've got to work there. We've got to get this in our minds so that we can fight this good fight of faith. And I know that we cannot win without Your power. It's You that keeps us. But Lord, it's our responsibility to do this. You can't keep us if we won't obey. That's where our safety is at. So please help us to get this together. Holy Spirit, I pray You'd burn it in our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen.